0: You're listening to community-supported radio, KVMR-FM, Nevada City, KCPC, Camino, Placerville, and it's time for the Monday edition of KVMR's Evening News. For their support, we'd like to thank Sweetland Garden Mercantile in North San Juan on the Ridge, offering organic compost tea and soil, bloom and trim supplies, also household goods. 292-9000, sweetlandgm.com dig it. After the NPR headlines and local weather, I'll be speaking with Gretchen Bond. She's president of the Nevada City Chamber of Commerce about what Nevada City is looking like this final week before Christmas. Also, we'll have a report from NPR on the financial difficulties that millions of Americans are encountering this Christmas Day And we'll have today's edition of National Native News. Closing out today's newscast, we'll have Jim Hightower with a commentary. At 6.30, we'll be broadcasting this week's edition of WINGS. That's the Women's International News Service. And at 7 o'clock, Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman. But first, NPR headlines followed by regional weather.
1: Live from NPR News, I'm Jack Spear. A torturous end to a tumultuous legislative session as the House advances toward a final vote tonight on a $1.4 trillion government funding measure tied to a $900 billion coronavirus relief package. NPR Susan Davis has more on what it will include.
2: It's going to extend expiring unemployment benefits by up to $300 a week into early spring. It's going to send out another round of those stimulus checks to the tune of $600 for every adult and child up to certain income thresholds. And there's billions more for food stamp programs. There's another $300 million coming for the Paycheck Protection Program, which was that popular program that has boosted businesses all over the country this year. There's billions in there to get the vaccine out all
3: across the country.
1: Still, in many ways, neither side got what they wanted. Democrats had been seeking more than $2 trillion in coronavirus relief, while Republicans wanted to shield businesses from liability, which is not included in this package. The COVID-19 vaccines for frontline health workers will still take weeks before they provide hospitals any relief. Blake Farmer of member station WPLN in Nashville reports many medical centers are dreading the next few weeks. There's been a celebratory atmosphere on one side of hospitals in recent days where nurses, doctors and cleaning staff are getting vaccines. Lisa Flemons is the lead nurse practitioner in Vanderbilt University Medical Center's COVID unit.
4: I have to go back to the unit when I'm done here and I have to go back and take care of the sickest patients in the
1: hospital. In the meantime, her hospital and many others are having to find ways to remain fully staffed since so many frontline workers are out sick themselves with COVID-19. That's the main reason they're getting first dibs on the vaccine in an effort to keep hospitals from being overwhelmed. For NPR News, I'm Blake Farmer in Nashville. The border closures between the UK and continental Europe due to a new viral strain of COVID are making an already complicated Brexit situation more difficult. NPR's owner Beardsley reports truckers trying to get goods through to Britain from the continent before the end of the year are now finding themselves stuck.
5: For weeks, there have been long lines of trucks in the port of Calais as British importers stock up before the UK officially leaves the EU customs union and single market. Since midnight Sunday, all rail, ferry and air traffic between France and Britain has been suspended for 48 hours. The Netherlands, Germany, Ireland and Belgium have also closed their borders. More than half of British imports come from the EU. Vanessa Ibarlucia is the spokeswoman for France's National Road Haulage Federation. She says thousands of French truckers are also stuck on the other side in Dover. With borders temporarily closed, transporters are refusing to send out any more shipments, she says. And Britain could soon run very low on stocks. Eleanor Beardsley, NPR News, Paris.
1: The next close on Wall Street made concern over the new coronavirus strain. The Dow was up 37 points, the Nasdaq down 13. This is NPR. One of the operatives allegedly involved in the attempt to kill Russian opposition leader Alexei Navalny has apparently confessed to his role in the plot. NPR's Rob Smith's reports.
0: Navalny has posted the audio of a phone call with an alleged operative who was seemingly duped into thinking he was talking to an aide with Russia's Security Council. The recording has not been independently verified. In it, Navalny, posing as the fictional aide, prodded the operative for details of the operation, demanding to know what went wrong. The alleged operative in turn confirmed the FSB was behind the poisoning and said his colleagues had applied the Soviet-era nerve agent Novichok to the inner seams of Navalny's boxer shorts while he was staying at a hotel in Siberia. Two days later, Navalny wore the poisoned underwear and later collapsed on an airplane before being taken to Germany for treatment, where he is still recuperating. Rob Schmitz, NPR News.
1: Berlin. The Justice Department today unsealed charges against a Libyan bomb maker in connection with the 1988 explosion of a Pan Am jetliner in the skies over Lockerbie, Scotland, that claimed the lives of 259 people on the plane, along with 11 more on the ground. Charges announced on what is the 32nd anniversary of the bombing during a final news conference held by outgoing U.S. Attorney General William Barr. It underscores Barr's personal attachment to the case, which unfolded during his first stint as head of the Justice Department. Barr had already announced earlier charges against two Libyan intelligence officers in connection with the case. Critical futures prices closed lower today, oil down a dollar and thirty-one cents a barrel to end the session at 47.79 a barrel on the New York Mercantile Exchange. I'm Jack Spear, NPR News. And
0: taking a look at the weather for the next few days, first here in the Grass Valley, Nevada City area. Looks like we'll have a low of 43 tonight, high of 57 tomorrow, mostly sunny through Thursday with highs in the upper 50s. Rain forecast for Christmas Day through Monday of this week. No snow in the forecast. Sacramento, low of 39, high of 60, partly sunny through Thursday with rain Friday through Monday with highs in the low 60s. And in Truckee, low of 21 tonight, high of 42 tomorrow, partly cloudy through Thursday with highs in the low 40s. And yes, snow is forecast for Christmas Day through Monday. Well, I'm speaking with Gretchen Bond and she's president of the Nevada City Chamber of Commerce and well, Gretchen, it's Christmas week and I thought this might be a good time just to touch in with Nevada City and talk about how things look and also talk about the businesses and and uh, what people can expect. Uh, so, welcome to KVMR.
5: Well, thank you, Paul. Thanks for having me. Well,
0: th- this is a Christmas week like no other week we've ever had before, but there's a lot of things that uh, that are positive in considering the difficult situations that we're in. So but why don't you talk about that a little bit?
5: Well, definitely, yeah, this is, this is definitely a different Christmas holiday season than we've ever had. Um, one of the things I'm noticing is there's a tremendous amount of support out there in the community to encourage people to shop locally. And um, I wanted everyone to know that our shops are open and they're open late. And also our restaurants are open for for takeout and um, curbside. So if people are looking to do some shopping and then maybe grab something to eat on their way home, they can definitely do that in downtown Nevada City for sure.
0: So the shops are open uh, up until the, you know, 7 or 8 o'clock in the evening? Is that generally the way that it looks?
5: Yes. I mean, all the shops have different you know, their hours vary, but pretty much everybody's open um, through, through, the, through the time that it gets dark. And um, then definitely the restaurants are open after that. I mean, I think what would be super a great day would be to go shopping in town and then grab some food um, on your way home. Look at the lights. The town is absolutely gorgeous. It looks so pretty. And even if you're done with your Christmas shopping, it would be a wonderful opportunity to even just drive through town in the evening after the sun is set and um, with your family and take a look at the beautiful lights and maybe grab something to eat on your way home.
0: And all the businesses are honoring the various restrictions that have been placed on them, you, can, you know, with uh, the COVID situation. So they're safe to go into, yeah. I understand.
5: Yeah, yeah, definitely. And and Nevada City has been certifying the businesses. Um, I know new businesses are certified every day. And so they have a poster that they can put in their window just so people, when you're walking down the street, you can instantly tell. Um, if somebody doesn't have a poster, though, it doesn't mean they're not safe. It just means that they probably haven't gotten certified yet. That's all.
0: Let's talk about the lights a little bit. Uh, uh, there was a, kind of a, a different uh, focus. Uh, we couldn't have a Victorian Christmas this year as usual uh, or anything quite like it, but the uh, Chamber of Commerce decided to get behind the idea of let's really make the town come alive with lights. Uh, Tell us about this.
5: Yes, well, we did a GoFundMe and we were able to raise a a fair amount of money to fund the um, additional lights. I don't know um, if you've been there in the evening, but Kalanand Park just sparkles. It looks absolutely gorgeous. Miriam's done a great job with that. Um, We were able to buy extra lights for Kalanand Park and then we were able to get a lot more swags for um, the buildings the kid knocks building and and um, a variety of other you know buildings in town and and really make sure that the town was sparkly for everyone to see it's it's so pretty it doesn't matter if you're driving up broad or down broad or across pine it's just it's such a it's such a beautiful town and and tree is in the robinson plaza looks really nice and it's all decorated and we just finished Hanukkah, so the menorah is there, but it was there um, on Saturday. So it the town looks great. It's it's really a nice. If you if you need a little bit of um, uplift, it's it's a wonderful experience.
0: And the town again, emphasizing the town is open and the businesses are are, are open. So if you uh, oh, yeah. uh, need to do your shopping, you can go and you can pick up food as well.
5: Yes, definitely. The town is open and we have a gift guide on our website. So if you go to the com, there's a 2020 holiday gift guide which can give you some ideas of shops and places to go. Um so that's really helpful. I don't think a lot of people realize how many different stores we have and what how many how many many what variety of things that you can buy in Nevada City. It's just really quite remarkable.
0: Gretchen, uh, thank you very much for speaking with KVMR.
5: Thank you so much, Paul.
0: I've been speaking with Gretchen Bond, president of the Nevada City Chamber of Commerce.
6: This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. Over the weekend, President-elect Joe Biden introduced members of his climate team, including Congresswoman Deb Holland. Biden says he's nominating Holland for Secretary of the Interior, touting her work on environmental issues.
0: As the first Native American Cabinet Secretary in the history of the United States of America, she'll be a true steward of our national parks, our natural resources, and all of our lands. The federal government has long broken promises to Native American tribes who've been on this land since time immemorial. With her appointment, Congresswoman Helen will help me strengthen the nation to nation relationship. And I'm honored to accept that she's been willing when I called her to accept this critical role.
6: Holland, in a three-minute speech, first acknowledged the lands of the Lenape people they were on in Delaware, accepted the nomination, and mentioned some of her struggles in life, including homelessness, using food stamps, and raising her child as a single mother. Holland says her struggles give perspective. She talked about her Pueblo culture, boarding schools, and federal Indian policies.
3: This moment is profound when we consider the fact that a former Secretary of the Interior once proclaimed his goal to, quote, Civilize or exterminate us. I'm a living testament to the failure of that horrific ideology. I also stand on the shoulders of my ancestors and all the people who have sacrificed so that I can be here.
6: Holland says she spent much time outdoors learning to respect the earth and value resources, and says she's ready to serve. The Biden Harris Climate Team will include the Secretary of Energy and Environmental and Climate Advisors. Montana's Missing Indigenous Persons Task Force met last week for an update. Of the 179 missing persons in the state, 29% are Native American. Yellowstone Public Radio's Caitlin Nicholas has more.
4: Presiding Officer and State Deputy Attorney General Melissa Schlichting announced she was leaving the position to start a new job with the U.S. Attorney's Office in Helena. The MMIP Task Force voted unanimously to appoint Ellie Bundy, a task force member and tribal council member of the Confederated Salish and Kootenai Tribes, as new presiding officer, in an update about current missing persons cases, Tina Chamberlain said 29 missing natives are under 21 years old and 17 of them have been missing for over a year. We are mindful that this is an overrepresentation when you look at Native Americans in Montana by population. It is keeping in line with what we've seen month to month. I think that last month it was probably our highest, but this is still a very high number of missing people. The task force said their missing persons reporting website, created in partnership with Blackfeet Community College, is being updated to work better with local law enforcement. The Confederated Salish and Kootenai Tribes will be the second tribal nation to use the new website once it's fully operational. The task force also announced the CSKT finished their tribal community response plan, The plan is part of a federal Department of Justice project to develop protocols with tribal nations so federal, tribal, and state law enforcement work together more efficiently on missing persons cases. Ellie Bundy says the CSKT are prepared to assist other Montana tribes in creating their own protocols.
2: As other tribes here start working on their plans, CSKT is more than willing to help
4: in any
6: way we can.
4: The Fort Peck, Assiniboine, and Sioux tribes will likely be the next tribal nation to join the project. I'm Caitlin Nicholas.
6: Holiday food boxes will be distributed Tuesday on the Cheyenne River Sioux Tribe in South Dakota during a drive-up curbside event. The boxes are designed to help create a meal for families. They include various holiday food items. The Cheyenne River Youth Project is teaming up with the Tribe's Indian Child Welfare Act office to host the Holiday Food Box event. I'm Antonia Gonzalez.
1: National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation, with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support by the Center for Indigenous Cancer Research
7: at Roswell Park Comprehensive Cancer Center, dedicated to cancer research, medicine, and cancer care for indigenous populations. A no-charge online risk assessment tool is available at roswellpark.org assessme. If you're a Native American expanding or starting a business, the Indian Loan Guarantee and Insurance Program supports your lender so your lender can make the business loan you need. Info by emailing dci at bia.gov. The Office of Indian Energy and Economic Development supports this program.
1: Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.
3: As a new year looms and a traumatic one comes to an end, the work of processing the ongoing pandemic has just begun, collectively grieving what is gone while trying to move forward. And so we're looking at what we've lost in 2020. Today's installment, Livelihoods.
2: I really lost everything during this pandemic.
0: My
5: business has dried up in
0: the last few months.
5: I've lost The life I was very proud of having built. I don't have the money from the gigs we were playing.
7: Things are just
5: bottom
6: up. I've drained my savings. After a couple months, my landlords were
3: as lenient as they could be. I had a credit score that I could have eventually finally bought a home with, and now my credit score is back damaged so heavily that it will not be repaired for a very long time to come. I'm
0: making half of what I did last year. i lost my car, I've lost
3: my apartment. And it just wasn't enough at the end of the day, and they gave me an eviction notice. In a moment, an economist explains how an uneven downturn will likely lead to an uneven recovery. But first, NPR's Lauren Hodges introduces us to a woman who lost her financial security this year and how a job loss leads to so many other losses.
7: An overwhelming number of people are unemployed right now, more than 10 million. A moratorium on evictions is about to expire, just as temperatures dip below freezing in many parts of the country which means many Americans are feeling helpless right in the middle of what has become the worst surge of the coronavirus pandemic. I'm not doing too well right now because I'm actually <laughs> battling COVID and, and um, pneumonia. That's Jasmine Doakes from Cincinnati, Ohio. She lost her job as a customer service representative for Delta in August. It really sucked because <laughs> I was
6: so excited about this year working and just growing there and All these
7: plans of getting to my 10th year um, at Delta. The job and its benefits are a big loss to dokes, especially since COVID and pneumonia aren't her only health worries. She's battling lupus. And after losing her health insurance, she can't afford the treatments anymore.
2: Um, It's been pretty difficult because last year I had to go through some chemo treatments and have lupus. And so I've been off a lot um, on medical leave.
7: That medical leave turned out to be a huge obstacle when it came to applying for unemployment. I wasn't approved because I said, well, you didn't work enough last year. <laughs> Doakes is looking for work, but she can't leave the house in her condition. So her bills are piling up. New data from the University of Chicago and the University of Notre Dame found that nearly 8 million people had slipped into poverty since this summer. The academics behind the data blame the jobless situation and a safety net with holes big enough for many to fall through. Dokes is looking at her own safety net now. She says she'll probably have to move back home with family soon. Um, but I'm grateful because I'm, I'm still alive. And during a pandemic that's claimed more than 300,000 lives, that's something Dokes knows she can't take for granted. That was NPR's Lauren Hodges. Now, to learn more about
3: who is out of work and the ripple effect that follows when a job is lost, we reached out to Michelle Holder, associate professor of economics at John Jay College, City University of New York. Holder told me that industries like retail, leisure and hospitality have been disproportionately gutted by the pandemic.
2: These do tend to be lower wage jobs customer service oriented jobs. And because the customers weren't there, you know, these workers really uh, were not needed to the same degree that they were before the pandemic. But a lot of these jobs are working class, blue collar jobs. And the loss of these types of jobs really has been devastating, I'd say for middle America.
3: Well, let's dig in on that. And the central question of, of what we have lost when we talk about a person losing their job, there are so many ripple effects from that. I'm thinking of savings. I'm thinking of health care in some cases. I'm thinking of, of your credit score.
2: There are so many ramifications. And so, you know, for people who lose their jobs, they are at risk of losing their homes, food insecurity. There are plenty of families that have lost everything because they're not able to Pay for unexpected health care issues. So, losing a job is the very beginning of a kind of domino effect, making that individual or that family much more vulnerable to just income loss.
3: And is there any data, any numbers we can put on the ripple effects beyond just on an individual and the crisis that losing your job, your livelihood can represent um, when you look at the effects on a family? on a neighborhood, on a community of somebody who was anchoring that and bringing in income suddenly no longer being able to do so. Right.
2: I live in uh, Manhattan. I actually live in Harlem. And during the early part of the pandemic, the atmosphere in Harlem, which has still has a sizable Black community, the atmosphere was really tense. What do you mean? People just, just seemed scared? They seemed scared and upset. Angry. Yeah. Yeah. Um, There's research on the effect of job loss on people of color. And because people of color in this country have fewer resources to fall back on than, you know, white families or white individuals, a job loss has a harsher impact than it does on white families and white communities. Not that job loss is not devastating for anyone, but because there are a wealth gaps and income gaps between blacks and whites in the US, suffering a job loss, there's a, a much more anxious implication for black families and black communities.
3: If I'm hearing you right Michelle Holder you're you're talking about the loss of a job which if it happens if it happens to any of us is devastating that transcends race but for communities of color that perhaps were already closer to the edge that had less of a safety net uh, the impact is just more profound
2: it is it's it's more profound in a material sense and and, and in a psychological sense you know this real kind of helpless fear of what's going to happen next? And are we going to weather this storm?
3: So bottom line, are you optimistic as you look ahead uh, to 2021 and the job scene?
2: Wow, that's a rough question to answer. Uh, I'll I'll try to answer it, but I will qualify my answer by saying I'm either a pessimistic optimist or an optimistic (laughs) pessimist.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Meaning who the heck knows? (laughs) Right, right.
2: Um, But mostly I'm a realist. I do believe that the recovery, as tepid as it is, will continue. But I don't think by next year, we should expect all of the major indicators, such as the unemployment rate and the poverty rate, to really get down to
3: pre-pandemic levels. So a long road ahead. Michelle Holder, thank you. Thank you. Michelle Holder is Associate Professor of Economics at John Jay College, City University of New York.
0: You're listening to Community Supported Radio, KVMR, FM, Nevada City, KCPC, Camino Placerville. And this is the Monday edition of KVMR's Evening News. KVMR's news program airs Monday through Friday, 6 to 6.30 p.m. Coming up at 6.30, we have this week's edition of WINGS. That's the Women's International News Service. And at 7 o'clock, Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman. Closing out today's newscast, we have
8: Jim Hightower with a
0: commentary.
8: How are you going to keep them down on the farm after they've seen Angus? Not Angus, the breed of cattle, but Angus, the 1,000-pound, quote, farmer of the future. He is not actually a he, but an it, a robot toiling away on an indoor hydroponic farm that is soilless and, yes, soulless. Programmed by a multimillion-dollar Silicon Valley startup named Iron Ox, Angus' homestead is an 8,000-square-foot concrete warehouse in a San Francisco suburb. The farm bot is more of a heavy lifter than a heavy thinker, wheeling around the warehouse to lift, move, and hand off large pallets of produce to another robot that, so far, hasn't earned a name. The human overseers of this robotic animal farm don't wear John Deere gimme caps, but clean room hairnets, apparently to prevent anything organic from contaminating the edibles or the bots. Started by a Google engineer, Iron Ox hopes to install duplicates of its faux farm in metro areas across the country. Quote, if we can feed people using robots, he says, what would be more impactful than that? How about this reconnecting our food system to nature, a democratic economy, and humans? The roboticists brag that local warehouses can provide fresher lettuce than the mega farms shipped from thousands of miles away. But wait, local farmers markets do that and the consumer dollars stay in the community rather than being siphoned off to iron ox and Wall Street financiers of Angus robots. The robotic indoor farm hucksters quietly concede that their real business plan depends on quote sidestepping the cost of human labor and local farm owners. Instead of democratizing our food economy, their scheme concentrates food profits in a handful of absentee syndicators. This is Jim Hightower saying, even Angus must know that this is stupid. If you'd like more of Jim Hightower's real populism, check out the Hightower Lowdown. Jim's monthly newsletter gives you the real lowdown on which corporations, by name, are doing what to the middle class, our environment, and our democracy. Each month, the Hightower Lowdown brings you facts you didn't know, along with actions you can take to fight back. It also comes with a sense of humor. Hightower believes we can fight the gods and still have fun. Plus, get this, it's cheap. Only $15 brings you 12 issues a year. For real populism, go to HightowerLowdown.org.
0: Well, that's our newscast for this evening. KVMR's Evening News airs Monday through Friday, 6 to 6.30 p.m. If you've heard something on this newscast you'd like to hear again, You can go to our website at kvmr.org, where you can download audio or listen on demand. Coming up at 6.30, we have this week's edition of WINGS, that's the Women's International News Service, and at 7 o'clock, Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman. Thanks for listening. I'm Paul Emery with KVMR's Evening News for Monday. (laughs)
3: Ha <laughs> ha